Hello, and welcome to episode 107 of Constructed Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Philip Kennedy Johnson. Philip has worked on such books as Warlords of Appalachia, Last Sons of America, Americans, I'm sorry, Marvel Zombies, Last God, and the upcoming Empire Captain America and Kill a Man with Steve Orlando. This is Matt, and I'm joined by my Constructed Comics co-host, Noah. Hey there. Philip, thanks so much for, for joining us. This is uh, your third time on the, uh, the podcast, but for anybody who hasn't listened before, could you uh, give us a brief bio about yourself and a little bit about the comics that you work on? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always good to be back here. Um, yeah, as you, you did, a, did a pretty nice job. I did uh, Last Sons of America and Warlords of Appalachia at Boom early on, and that led to some more um, licensed books there at Boom and Archaea. Did uh, Power of the Dark Crystal there. Adventure Time short, and they got an Eisner nom, and um, Planet of the Apes, uh, Kong, and uh, that led all that stuff led to DC, where I did Aquaman, and um, a few shorts since then in various anthologies, did an Animal Man thing, and Sinestro is whatever comes along. I have some cool, exciting projects coming up there soon that we can't talk about yet, but doing Last God monthly, and um, Marvel Zombies over at Marvel, um, and as you said, the upcoming Cap, I. So, yeah, it's very exciting to see the news and to see like your name come up more and more oh, with you. like comic news and everything like that. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, is, is Last God on in like a one month hiatus now since you've hit that sort of like six, um, six issue mark? <clears throat> uh, not a hiatus exactly. The, the Dragon Source book is coming out. Oh, right. Awesome. That's going to be April. And um, so that's, that is the hiatus kind of just the, the one month for that. Um, so that any, I'm, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is probably not exactly correct because it's, it's in for all the stuff that's in there is stuff that any, any tabletop gamer could use to play, to build a campaign basically in, in their yes. chosen scene. Um, but it is meant to be most compatible with uh, Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. So that, that was the five of you was in mind when we were making all that stuff. That'll be cool. Uh, yeah, it will be cool. So that's that yeah. month, and then uh, then the the monthlies pick right up the next month. Awesome. Yeah, I've uh, I'm glad to hear that it won't be that long. Like it won't be one or like you know two months or anything like that. So it'll be that's good. I'm glad to hear that, and uh, I'm excited to recommend that to my tabletop gaming friends. Um, so, Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, we're very proud of it. We're actually still putting the finishing touches on it this week, and then it goes to print. That'll be and awesome. And is it, it's going to be traded at uh, six, which is the, the halfway point. Is that correct? Actually, no. Um, oh. That's what I expected. Oh, wow. I thought that it would, but it looks like they're going to wait and just put out one big-ass volume when the whole thing is done. Oh, great. Oh. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That'll right. be awesome. But because of that, because the monthlies are not – because there's not going to be a trade at six, they're actually going to be um, – they're making sure that the monthlies are available. So like, um, a lot of the monthlies have been going out of print, and so they've been – They've been uh, sending, they just sent number three back to print like uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was cool. Okay, cool. Uh, people want to get caught up on it, can still get the monthlies. Are they going to do any like new variants or anything like that? Yeah, they should be. Well, I don't know about number three. I would think so. But the, yeah, the number one reprint cover was going to be a little different. Nice. Okay. I'll yeah. have to pick, I'll have to triple up because I have the two variants <laughs> from the, the first run. Yeah. Well, no pressure. But yeah. yeah. I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think they were doing one of the original, co- like there were two standard covers um early on and i think they're going to do one of those with a slightly different uh color scheme or something it wasn't like a wildly different cover 
Okay. I'll so just the, take a crap on it then. Just, yeah. The the singles have a lot of uh, extra material. Will that uh, be like when that grand volume comes out, the twelve issues? Will that or, or is that too early to say? I would think so. I can't imagine it wouldn't be in there. I mean, I know even even for the source the source book stuff's going to be in there too. Oh, good. And there's another additional thing that I can't really talk about yet that's coming out, but it's not like there's more coming out than just the remaining monthlies. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it's all going to be in there. Um, in fact, because we we had a hard time paring down the um, paring down the material down to the 40 page mark for the source book. We had there's so much shit to put in there. Um, so we're so we are putting out the the, the 40 page comic um, for the source book, but there's also another however many pages like all the all the additional stuff and more illustrations and things that we didn't have space to put in this one is all going in the the, the 12 issue monster at the end that'll be awesome yeah, yeah been, i'm sorry go ahead no oh no i was just gonna say i've been enjoying the 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 like little sketches from um frederico at, at, at in the back with the sort of like uh supplementary reading sections as well oh good yeah so, yeah, and I, I would think that something like that um, would have a really good chance of doing really good in the the, the book market, the the, yeah. the Barnes and Nobles and, and stuff like that, that that huge volume that you could put, um, you know, sort of next to your, you know, your Lord of the Rings or your, your Wheel of Time. So is that sort of the, uh, the, the hope there? I hope so. I mean, honestly, I don't, I try not to think too much about marketing when I'm writing stuff and mm-hmm. I leave that to the people whose, whose gig it is. I, um, we're just trying to make the best comic we can. And the, I mean, even the stuff in the back of the issues was a godsend. Like I didn't expect to get that at first. And when the, when the editors and and their bosses found out how much world building was going into this thing, they were super cool. And they're like, well, let's, let's find a way to print it and put it out there. So they, they gave us, they extended without us asking, they extended the page count of every issue um, significantly. So instead of 22 pages of content, which it would have been if it had been a vertigo book. Now they're like, you know, here's 28 pages uh, that, you, that you can use. So that is, so we've been doing four, like most of the issues have now had 24 pages of interiors and then four pages of supplemental material at the end, um, which we didn't expect to get. I mean, it's in a, yeah. it's actually a huge boon to, um, to have all that extra world building. Cause I mean, I have all these, I mean, some of the songs that are in this book existed before I knew I was going to get that. <laughs> like I just, Oh wow. Like they would like the lyrics might be in the comic or something, but I didn't expect to actually have them be able to sing it, you know, but now we have an opportunity to print the sheet music in the back or talk about the the history behind a religious text or, uh, you know, God, this is so much. So yeah, being able to, to use it all is great. And, um, and yeah, it does give us an opportunity to, to make this monstrous story that's bigger than just the comic, which is super exciting. So yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to getting that out there. Uh, that you brought up sort of the the vertigo idea, and I was as I was reading issue six tonight, I was wondering about sort of how, uh, like, because like the content in it, like it seems like with sort of other black label books I've read, they sort of pare it down to sort of almost like a PG thirteen sort of rating as far as content goes, but like this is like hard R, mm-hmm. like material and things like that, and I was wondering if this was like supposed to be a vertigo book at first and then they, they switched it over to black label or something. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, that was super early on. Um, originally it was pitched. I mean, Amadeo, my editor, I've worked with him. I had worked with, he was the guy I was in primary contact with on Aquaman. Uh, 
Okay. Um, we got along really well. And at some point he kind of made the jump over to Vertigo. And he was like, let's do more books. And, and I uh, pitched a couple of things to him. And this was one of them. This is one he actually suggested that we do. Like, hey, let's do a fantasy story and or a horror book in a fantasy world. And that, uh, that became this. Um, okay. And with the, with the intent of it being a Vertigo story. Um, but then everything happened and they decided to, to fold away Vertigo and do something else with those titles. And um, they still wanted to do it. They're so super supportive. It didn't really affect the storytelling at all. They were like, no, we think this should be a black label book. And it was, um, yeah, it just made a lot of sense. It was, a, it was a bold move because black label has mostly been, I mean, entirely been, except for this, um, you know, their, their characters, like right. Batman and Harley and whatever. So it was really cool to get an opportunity to tell a black label book that was original material. And it kind of, I feel like it kind of keeps that foot in the door for other people to do the same thing, to, to see more Vertigo-esque properties um, under the black label title. I was wondering about like, do you sort of, re does it sort of like a, a Vertigo book like Preacher where you sort of attain the creator-owned rights and stuff like yeah. that? Or okay, Yeah, in that, nice. in that regard, it's pretty much, you know, without getting too much in the weeds as far as the legal stuff, it's it's basically a Vertigo title as far as the the rights and everything. That's cool. Um, I mean, they're, they control like, I mean, they're the ones, you know, pitching it for film and TV and all that. Like they right. control where it goes and everything. But I, but Ricardo and I own the story. Very That's cool. Awesome. So I have a, uh, a, I want to go back a little bit to the the relationship you had with your editor and the pitch. Mm -hmm. um, so you said you had a couple of things and you, you, you know, you guys talked and he came to you and he said, let's do a, a fantasy horror thing. Um, so with Last Gods, was that something that you, once you got that sort of direction, the fantasy horror thing, did you did you sort of mold it into that, or did it just sort of fit like really easily into that? Uh, that? Um, I conceived the whole thing after he gave me that idea. Okay. Um, he he was like, "Hey, would you want to tell a story?" See, <laughs> he's like, "Do you like horror?" I'm like, yeah, I love horror. He's like, "Do you would you want to tell a horror story in a world where there's like wizards and shit?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, sure. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to say to that? Like I guess mm -hmm. it's, you know, I mean, it's a hard yes, you know? So yeah. I, yes, I do want to do that. But I had not really been thinking about that until then. And I was like, well, what would I want to do? And I don't remember the, the kernel of the idea that became this thing, but it's, yeah, it sort of took shape into this, this story of two, two different fellowships doing the same thing a generation apart and one betrays the other. And it's, you know, it, it sort of became what it is. Um, so I was given no more direction than that. Like horror story, wizards and shit was the, you know, <laughs> the direction. And I was wondering, were you inspired by like first season true detective with sort of like the two timelines, like sort of, yeah, I mean, I don't think direct, like I wasn't directly trying to ape that or anything, but it's, oh, I was, yeah, not, I, not saying that, but I was wondering if that was an inspiration. Yeah. I mean, I, looking back, I would say yes. I mean, yeah. I was, I'm definitely hugely into that season. I, I love that show. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it consciously at the time, but then looking back, like there are clear, you know, there's a clear similarity in the way the, the story is structured. Yeah, I love that structure. So I, when uh, you guys get the, you get sort of the, the general idea of something to, to pitch and then you come up with the idea, how long along the process does the, uh, the possible art team come together? Um, Man, well, I mean, it, it had to get greenlit first. 
I don't think we had, we did not have Ricardo on board until it was greenlit. Um, okay. So first it was all about the story itself and we just tinkered with that for a while. And then there was this big, you know, pitching meeting basically. Um, and they said, yes. I mean, they not only said yes, but they said, just give them 12 issues, which was more than we had asked for, which was awesome. Cause it, it gave us, it let us do this properly, you know, mm -hmm. like, exactly to do two, two, um, fellowships would have been impossible in six. Um, so yeah, after they greenlit it, then we're start. then we started to think about artists and, um, Amadeo had worked with Ricardo on, on, on Aquaman and he was this newfound, you know, phenom talent. And he was like, let's see if we can get Ricardo. I'm like, dude, can we get Ricardo? Like, I, I can't imagine anyone better than him for this. Yeah. Um, he was like, who else do you want to look at? I'm like, I don't even care. <laughs> just get, just get Ricardo. I guess if he, if he'll do it. And actually originally it was going to be, um, we were going to get a different artist for the two different timelines. Like we were going to have one for the past, one for the future. Um, and we were talking about using him for one of those because he did a lot of other things he wanted to do. He's doing a ton of commissions and like covers and he went, you know, I'm sure there's other monthlies he wanted to do. Um, but in the end we were like, man, who, like, who are we going to, who's going to hang with Ricardo? Like who else are we going to get for the other half of this? And in the end, Amadeo was like, let me just see if I can get him for the whole thing. And, yeah. um, and he said, yes. So yeah, it was really exciting. And we didn't know, but he's a huge fan of like Conan and that, all that, that kind of thing, like the mm -hmm. Rodney Howard stuff. Um, so it was just a, a great fit for him. I mean, you've seen it. Like it's, it's just insane how good he is and how good a fit he is for it. It's amazing. I, I, I just but I, I follow him on Instagram and when he posts process videos of him just going to town on the pages with all the lines and everything like that. It's, it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. He's fast. Like it's not, yeah. even, it's not even like he doesn't even really take his time. It's just like, he's just knocking it out. It's amazing talent. Um, and I was wondering about that sort of the Conan vibes. Was that baked into the script at first sort of your idea of like this, like, cause there's, there's elements of Conan, there's elements of sort of what we typically think of like your Dungeons and Dragons fantasy and your, and your Lord of the Rings and things like that. Was, was that sort of baked in or did Ricardo bring that to the table when he was drawing? Um, he, it was baked in. Like I, let's see how to answer. I mean, I've, I've definitely been in, I mean, the story was definitely impacted by Ricardo's involvement. Like if I, if I didn't really like truly collaborate with him. I'd be doing him a disservice and doing the book a disservice. Like it really, it really matters to me to, to truly collaborate with the, the people you're working with. Um, so I wanted like when he would, what's, what's a good example. There's a, <clears throat> an issue, I think at the end of issue three, maybe um, is when the, what I call the baby wraith shows up. Yeah. That that's a creepy scene with the mother and the yeah. baby talking through her. Yeah. Then yeah. the, the, morphs into the dragon. Yeah. That thing looked very different than I first envisioned. Like that was, okay. that was going to be a very different thing. Um, we didn't, we didn't anticipate um, using, like it's, it's very important in the, in the upcoming issues that thing is. Mm. And um, that was not how we had originally intended it to go. Um, but it ended up looking so rad and just so epic the way it looked. I was like, we can't get rid of this thing yet. We have to, we've got to keep using it. And, it, it, it affected the direction of the story. The the uh, the tear King Tears Wraith was meant to be more uh, a more prominent part in those next couple of issues, um, and 
you know, it just didn't didn't quite go that way. And part of it was because of the design. Like, well, here's how we can make it work with this with this one creature. And it sort of affected the uh, the lore too, like the the way the the way the, the flowering dead work. Like right. stuff you'll see in in the source book. Like, there's there are different kinds of wraiths, and um, we wanted it to be accessible for for tabletop gamers. Um, it's not. I mean, yeah. I mean, we. I, that's. I don't not think about that. Like, I, I try not to let the story get get shaped or mm-hmm. steered by tabletop concerns. But I do want this to be a, a place where gamers can can make their own campaigns in that world and be that into it. You know, like Game of Thrones kind of thing, where like there's so much depth to it. I, I want people to continue to. I want there to be more and more to find the deeper they dig into it. Um, Very happy to see that wraith design come back in issue six. Yeah. Um, that was that was like I was very excited to see that. That was that was really that was really cool. Thanks. Yeah, you're you're asking about um, influenced by Robert E. Howard and those other things. Like, I the the question of religion never comes into play. Right. In Lord of the Rings, you never see the, at least, I don't say never, but you, you do not often see anything about um, who these people worship. Um, like there's, if you read Cimmerillion, you see who the actual gods were, mm-hmm. uh, or God, I guess, I guess technically it's just one, but then the way they, the way they uh, show the, the Valar, the, the whole history of, of this world, there's no, there are no made up religions. There's just like the, the, there's the God that exists and the, the Valar and the Ainur and everything. Like it's, it's all true, you know, and there's, and there's not a, there's not a wide variety of barbaric religions. Like I kind of wanted to see, you know, like the, you know, the Urukai, like the, the orcs basically worship Sauron who is real. Mm-hmm. The elves are descended somewhat from um, uh, Iluvata and that, and he's real too. And there's no, I want to see, it's just not dirty enough, you know? Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that moment in issue five after you have that, the moment where the book is read to them and you go through the origins of the world uh-huh. and you have, you have tear, you have, um, science, you have, uh, you have the, the ferryman King and all of them arguing about how well, it was mainly, mainly tear and the ferryman King arguing about, no, that's not how the real story was. This is how, and right. it's very, it's very, it mirrors real world religion, right? Where there are events that sort of intersect different religions. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the, like, but like, then there's like this deeper truth, like in the right. world. I, I really liked that moment. And I like how that sort of adds to the, the drama between the characters. Like there's a drama between, there, there's tension between religions, ethnicity, like I guess race, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, it adds for great drama um in each issue yeah thanks i guess it was important for me to uh to me to have that like i I didn't want to have the elves be shiny and clean and happy and immortal i i wanted i wanted there to be some racism in the story i wanted there to be some you know like the i want to explore the patriarchy of that world and um just make the whole thing dirtier and more complicated and in a way that robert e howard's worlds do more more so than tokens you know there's just they're just filthier um so i wanted that for this for sure that was always a big part of it but i also wanted to have the depth and the the lore that tolkien's world does um 
and I wanted to keep uh, gamers in mind. Like at first, the the creatures that we created for this book, uh, they're the different races. It was important to me that I I didn't want them to even be recognizable. I didn't want to have an elf and a dwarf analog. I wanted there to be some very different kind of creatures. And in the end, we steered it back towards the standard ones, like halfway. Like the dwarves are not dwarves in this one. They're different for sure. But they're familiar enough that tabletop gamers will still be comfy with it. Like they're, it's a, a dwaro in this is, is definitely not a dwarf. They are different for sure. And the same thing with the Elva. They're not, you know, they're a, they're a subjugated race. They're, you know, it's, it's not, they're not the superior demigod like thing that we've seen in other stories. They don't, they're not that different than us. They're not that much better than us. They're lesser in some ways and greater in others. Um, it's definitely a different culture and they have different cultures within that culture as well. I, again, there's not like one native American tribe and they don't just follow one God and one way of, do, you know, one set of folk tales. Um, there are also different, you know, cultures within humanity and different cultures within the Elva. And I, I wanted that to be the case here too. Um, so yeah, I just wanted more, I wanted to mirror the real world more than these other stories did as far as just, um, just durying up the, relationships between the different races yeah i like that that's one of the most attractive part and when i talk to other people about the book because i i'm friends with people at the tabletop gaming store i'm friends with the local comic shop people and when i tell the people at the tabletop gaming store about the book they're like yeah i want to play that as a campaign when i talk to the people as the comics they're like yeah we want to play that as a game but we also just really enjoy the detail in this book and sort of how if like, you know, you forget something, cause now you, the nice thing about the issues is they have that synopsis at the beginning. Uh-huh. But if you, if you have, if you forget what happened last month, like uh, you, you still get caught up in each issue storytelling because there's that great tension baked into the dialogue and the scenes. And like, you know, that, that shows that this is sort of like, there's, there's history between races and religions and it, it makes for a much more interesting read month to month. Cool. I'm glad to hear it. So if we could shift gears for a second, uh, I want to talk about another DC uh, work that you recently did. You did a uh, short a story in uh, Crimes of Passion, which featured uh, Black Canary and, and Green Arrow. So how did that come about? Um, well, I had, a, I had a really good relationship with um, Dave Welga, is another uh, DC editor, and he just he liked my work and started reaching out to do stuff. I did... Um, was the first one I did with him. I think my Animal Man one might have been the first one. I did Dog Days of Summer story that was Animal Man. That was really fun. So he and Alex Antone both been very supportive and they were like, hey, would you want to, would you want to pitch for um, this Valentine's Day anthology? I'm like, sure, what do you want to do? And he, they, they really had Green Arrow and Black Canary on the brain. Like they had not seen, they didn't have one of those yet and they really wanted somebody to pitch that. So I did. And, um, I had a couple, like most of my, most of my exposure to Green Arrow was back when they did the, the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, Green Lantern, Green Arrow thing. That's mm-hmm. like, I, I just, to me, he's always been a social justice warrior. Right. And um, that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of what I want him to be, I guess. And I, I do like, I really like the relationship between him and Black Canary. I like that they're, I know in the book, sometimes they have troubles and all that, but they, that they're still always really grateful for each other and there's no question that they love each other and um 
so I just wanted a story that would kind of reflect that. And due to his, you know, SJW status, I wanted to use some kind of like a, you know, some kind of event from modern day that matters. And we ended up doing a story about a um, school shooter. So yeah, they and they went for it. I mean, I feel like it fits a green it fits Green Arrow in my opinion to have him facing off against a real world, you know, social issue. Um, but still be focused on the relationship between him and Black Canary uh, at the same time since it is a Valentine's Day story as well. So the whole thing is just kind of about their gratitude for each other and how lucky they've been and uh, knowledge not everyone is so lucky. Yeah, yeah you, cer- yeah. you certainly accomplished that. You, you, you had the, the, the relationship between the two, but they were also tackling that, that real world issue that mm-hmm. we all sort of, you know, uh, we all sort of dread every day when, when our kids walk out, out the door. So it was, yeah. you know, it was, uh, a, a blend of, you know, romance and a blend of like, you know, dealing with, you know, fears that we all have. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, um, the lovey dovey stuff is not something I usually, it's a different tone than my books usually are. Like mm-hmm. the, the fact that, uh, the banter between Green Arrow and Black Canary is like just kind of affectionate and lighter, I guess. And um, I mean, of course, it takes darker turn when the kid comes into the story, but um, I don't know, it's just a very different tone than I usually do in my characters. And so it was, it was a really fun experience. To do did you have like Did you have any challenges working in sort of um, so many? you know, 22 issue stories or like with like Last God where you're telling this epic, you know, 12, uh, you know, issue series with a lot of pages. Were there any challenges to to do that concise storytelling in an anthology? No, honestly, I'm I'm very comfortable doing really short ones. I, I think, I mean, it's a challenge for sure, especially the really short ones. I mean, a one shot is like perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. If you get a chance to do a one shot, I, it's, it's easy for me to like, I was going to say easy writing, you know, writing is hard. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I knew it was easy. Oh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's easier to get a home run on like a one and done than it is to, to nail the whole three act structure for the, for an entire, for a, for a series, you know, um, to me, that's like, that's challenging is like just making sure that the, the beats are having at the right moments throughout a, a long series that you're, you're paying off all the characters at once. There's like all these balls in the air that you have to constantly juggle throughout the entire series. Whereas a one and done, um, it's just so you can just kind of take a step back and look at it and see, does this work? And you find the things that don't work and it's just a more streamlined process, I guess. So when, when they're as short as this, you know, this is like eight pages or something that's short, like it's, that's the challenge to do that. But um, but even then, I feel like it's um, it's a really good exercise to to make a story that short work. Yeah, but the key to me, I think, is finding the the right concept that you can do in eight pages. Mm-hmm. It's not too big. Um, I mean, I've got a younger brother who's finishing up at SCAD right now, and um, I'm always reading his stuff. And he's I mean, he's an artist, but he's also you know for his classes, he has to write stuff as well, of course, and he has to write his own stuff to draw whenever I'm reading a script, like I, I mean, it's better now, but for a while I, I almost didn't have to read it. I was like, okay, just use fewer panels and we use way less dialogue. Like every page, every page <laughs> of the panel is just too crowded all the time. And um, 
because he had these really kick-ass concepts that were just too big for the, you know, the four page thing or whatever he had to do. Like they, they gave him this ridiculous page constraints, which I totally get. I'm not criticizing them for doing that, but it's a challenge. You've got to come up with something that works. That's interesting in four pages. That's nuts. It's super short. Um, so the key I think is to find the concept that is super interesting and that works well, that tells a story that matters, but is executable within the page constraints. Do you think so it's you easy to almost, oh, sorry. Hmm? yeah, I was going to say, do you think it's, it's good to sort of focus on like the third act of something almost, or like the second act almost like if it's, if this is like a, a smaller part of a larger story, you know, and if it's like, you know, the, uh, if you could tell this story over 22 pages, that kind of thing, you know, like, and, but like, if you're just telling sort of like the last part of it, you know, um, do you think that's a good approach to writing short stories? Does that make sense? So you're saying make the short story as if it was just the third act? Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to see a specific example that took that approach. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm still doing, I'm still approaching it like a screen, like the whole thing, like a screenplay, just like, super okay. where it's like you, you establish the status quo, like what, who the characters are what their situation is, here's what the world looks like. And then you've got the event that happens that suddenly everything's on its head. Like what happens that changes everything. Um, so like, for example, in that green arrow story, although it's really more of a black canary story, I guess. Um, they are on a rooftop kind of hanging out. You see, you get a, you get a snapshot of their, um, uh, their relationship for literally one page. And then there's a, there's an explosion. Mm -hmm. And they investigate and that's the thing that happens. It kind of sets everything moving. Um, and then they find us this kid, which they, they don't expect. Um, that's kind of the instigating uh, event, you know? Um, and then the, you know, the, the second act is the fight, but also the conversation that happens where they're learning what the hell this kid's doing. Mm -hmm. And they realize it's not their usual bad guy in a mask thing. Um, and then they, you know, they think they've won. And then they have like the, the, the big uh, all hope is lost moment where they think like, oh God, we're going to die now. Like all the stuff from like Star Wars or whatever the three, three act example is, is in there just in miniature. Um, so in that case, I think it was more of a three act story, um, just super quick. Mm -hmm. And then there's still the, the descending action at the end as well. Um, and yeah, I think my, my other, all my other shorts at DC have been that same way. Um, yeah. With the exception of no, another one that has not come out yet, which uses a big cold open that kind of eats up some time, but okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just something I've been thinking about lately is like sort of approaching short stories is sort of what do you, do you do sort of like the bottle approach where it's just one location and it's one moment in a larger story? Uh, I guess that, that that's sort of maybe a better way of, of describing it or just sort of how you, I'm always interested to see how people approach short stories, I guess. You can. Yeah. And I think that's really, yeah. I, I love bottle episodes. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that works really well. And I mean, that's kind of what I did with my Batman thing. Um, the thing I did for the talent showcase. Um, the whole thing takes place in free fall. Right. So it's not exactly one location, but it kind of is. And I, yeah, I think those work really well. Uh, but if you do that in a short story, it has to be, you know, the, the reader has to know 
what the situation is. I had a, I had one story that once that I wanted to tell, I mean, it was just back when I was, I hadn't done shit yet. I just thought it would be fun when I was just writing shorts with my brother, the artist, um, I had one story that I wanted to do where it's all happening in, inside the mind of a sidekick, like basically mm-hmm. Robin. So Robin is tied up in a chair in a death trap. And the villain is just kind of dancing around him, cackling like the Riddler, whoever, like a Riddler analog is monologuing. And Robin's not replying at all. He's just sitting there thinking, and he's thinking about all the mistakes he's made in his life. Like chances that he had to go to this really awesome school. And he said, no. And, um, you know, he could be making, you know, in another two years, he could be graduating from the school with, you know, making seven figures on wall street or whatever. And these things like, and I'm sitting in this stupid <laughs> costume and, and he's, he's totally ignoring the guy and he's not afraid at all. And then at the last second, Batman busts in and, and knocks out Riddler and saves him. And like the whole story, like the, the only text would be his inner monologue about all the failures in his life that led him to be this, this ridiculous character. Um, I never did that. Of course, this is like years ago. I don't think it's something I'm interested in doing anymore, but that was like an early example of a bottle episode thing where everyone understands the setup. Everyone's seen the old, Silver Age covers where Robin is just tied up, you know, and yeah. Batman's got to get him out. Um, so that was one where you, I didn't feel like it was there was any need to explain how everyone got here because nobody cares. It's just a it's just a Silver Age cover, you know. And that's the example I was trying to think of earlier when I when I started the question is something like that where it sort of is the third act of a larger <laughs> Batman. Yeah, story in that case, almost. I think yeah. I mean that's yeah. again that's a that's that was meant to be like a funny story, but like a like yeah. A, comedy but you wouldn't have to be that way i think in a lot of cases if it's like a gun to the head type situation i think that would be very effective you know in a lot of in a lot of cases the, the ones that i the ones that i've done so far at dc have not been that way but it doesn't mean you can't couldn't or shouldn't i think that would be very effective okay thank you for answering that yeah man so that's um that's a pretty good uh coverage of your least your recent uh dc work but you're also doing some some work <laughs> at uh at marvel you you have marvel zombies um mm-hmm. and then you also have uh, a captain america event uh that's or a tie into event if i if if i have read the solicits right yeah. um Let's talk a little bit about Marvel Zombies before we talk about Cap. Um, so uh, where are we at with, with that series? I mean, it's, the scripts are done, <clears throat> and um, it's, getting, it's all getting drawn, coming together nice. I'm actually super proud of that book. I, yeah. I really like that series. Um, very proud of the, I, um, they, the way they numbered and advertised it was a little wonky. Like people, you know, the the, uh, the one shot came out in October as Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one, mm-hmm. and now April 29th, I think Marvel Zombies Resurrection number one comes out, and everyone's like, "What the hell is this?" And I, I'm getting yeah. a lot of stuff on Twitter like, "This is the same book." I'm like, and I have to explain to everyone, "No, no, it's the first issue of a mini series." Okay. Um, <clears throat> so in that way, it was like I feel like people are going to be confused. I hope it doesn't hurt sales, but. Um, so yeah, the one shot came out in October and that was meant to be a prelude that sets up the, the four part miniseries that comes out weekly uh, starting in April. Oh, nice. So yeah, the other four issues are all coming out like bam, 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 back to back um, starting end of April. And it's, I'm really proud of it. I, I'm very, very happy how it turned out. It follows different characters as, as you might expect if you read the first one. Um, so yeah, I'm really stoked for everyone to read this one. Was it fun to sort of get uh, uh, 
you got sort of you know the the ability to play with sort of heroes that we've always known and always admired but you you weren't sort of constrained to sort of keep them in the in the past that we we always know so was, was that a fun aspect of the the zombies world yeah you know you nailed it like i got to write cap and wolverine and i don't want to give away who's in this who's in this this mini um but uh yeah more more of my favorite characters and write them however i want to and to be able to do that especially in the one shot man like you're writing like the entire avengers and fantastic four and your favorite x-men and you can do whatever you want because they're like it's not in continuity so it's there's all this freedom too it's like the perfect it's an incredibly fun setup um and this this next the miniseries that comes up is like the <laughs> the cormac mccarthy version of that like this super, oh, wow like basically marvel zombies meets the road and that's kind of <laughs> um so yeah <laughs> very cool very cool i'm sold <laughs> yeah so so the other thing that you're working on is the uh the the cap uh empire thing and um i have to admit i'm a little bit behind on my solicits but is this part of a uh event that that's that's coming out it is so this empire which is this big crossover event that um al ewing is leading okay uh, that's it's pretty much a Fantastic Four Avengers series. Like it's it's focuses on the on the Fantastic Four, but also the Avengers. And um, it's it's a big enough deal that it's like a lot of the individual characters and other like smaller teams um, are doing uh, are doing series like Empire stuff as well. Like there's some one shots. There's a one shot about the bad guy that my friend Alex Pocknadel is doing. Um, there's god what's the other one he's actually he's doing two i'm trying to think of what the other one was um but there's a there's a thor mini that mm -hmm. my friend rom v is doing um and i'm doing cap and I, there's an avengers one there's a let's see defenders maybe challengers uh, mark wade is doing one i think it's it might be challengers um but yeah so there's a bunch of tie-in events and i got to do the cap one which was cool I, I put out there to the Marvel guys, like I, I'm this huge Winter Soldier fan. I would love to write Bucky. Um, not expecting it to write Cap. I mean, if yeah. I'd known that the Cap was on the table, I would have thrown that in as well. But I, <laughs> but I do legit love Bucky. Like I, I just love the idea of the, the broken sidekick that went on to be this like assassin and this whole other thing. Um, so yeah, um, getting to write Cap obviously as a you know active duty soldier was pretty friggin' great. Um, and I'm working with Ariel Olivetti, who's crushing it. And it's, it's been really fun. I'm excited to pick that up. A lot of, are you introducing, are you playing with a lot of Cap characters? Like, you know, like the Howling Commandos and things like that? Or are you inventing new supporting characters for him to be around in this series? Funny you say that. They they wanted this one to be kind of Band of Brothers-y. Okay. Um, but they also were like, well, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not actually a thing in the books right now. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s gone for the moment. So he doesn't have shield backing him up. Um, so I was like, well, what if we made up a new team of Howling Commandos based on like real life soldiers? And so that's what we're doing. So, like, so there, there is a team of Howling Commandos. Um, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say it or not. I don't, I've never said it in another interview. So heard it here first. Exclusive. Uh, right. The Howling Commandos will be in this, but they're actually just American soldiers. They're no one you've seen before. I love sure. that. I love the Howling Commandos. Yeah. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of Nathan Edmondson's Punisher run 
was mm. when uh, Frank Castle got to go and sort of rough it with the the, Mari- the, the Navy SEALs. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah, like, uh, I'm really excited to see some of that in other Marvel books. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that that's a very exciting pitch. So the, 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 the Marvel retreats are sort of like these mythical, legendary things where everybody <laughs> gets together to sort of plan everything out. Was, was Empire uh, part of one of those? I'm sure there was an Empire Summit. I was not there for that one. This was a, a lot of the, the uh, conversations I've had with Al and with um, Tom Brevoort and um, my editor, Darren Shan, all that has all been done through email and mm-hmm. phone calls. Um, but whenever I have questions, this stuff comes out. It's not like they planned out. I didn't have a, I didn't have a seat at the table as far as planning out the entire event and where, where it would leave us and all that stuff. This was more about how do we do, how do we tell a compelling cap story that can intersect with the big picture of vampire. Um, so that was all done in smaller conversations that I'm, that happened after what I'm sure was a summit. Very cool. And yeah. I know that you said that like Bucky was, was a personal favorite and obviously with your background cap being, you know, uh, a go-to do they, did they come to you with like one or two characters or were they like, you know, Philip, you're, you we're, we're really thinking of you for, for the cap series. Uh, are you able to uh, shed a little bit of light on that? Yeah. They, I mean, they came straight to me for cap, okay. um, which, and I, and I, Utterly did not have time for it. Like I, was, I really, I really should have said no. Um, but I mean, what are you going to do? I can't, I can't say no. So I was like, I just got to find a way to make this work. But I was really anxious about it when I when I said yes. I was like, okay, I got to do it now. And I was kind of crapping my pants a little bit. I was like, I don't know where I'm going to find the time to turn this in, man. I've got three things to do this week, and I was just drowning in work. Um, but it worked out. I managed to managed to get it done. I just kind of shut myself, locked myself in a hole for a while, and got it got it done. And yeah, so we're doing it. But yeah, I was I was really that was one of the first times I've done it where I was like, I think I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm about to I'm about to really let down with a lot of cat fans. But it it worked out pretty well. Sorry and do you that. do Are you, you uh, any musical? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. No, you go ahead, Matt. I'll, I'll, my question won't take that long. Uh, so with that, like, uh, are you, did you, did you get to see pages like in the development stage, like pencils, inks and, and stuff like that? Yeah. Whenever, whenever Ariel finishes pages, they go back to me. Well, first he does layouts and they go back to me and the editor and, um, but yeah, I, I have input for all that stuff. Like the, um, all the art is back for number one and, um, he's turning in art for number two now. And that's gotta yeah. be an amazing feeling to to get an email or a notification that you have a Oliveri uh, cat page to to look at. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's it's really fun. Um I mean he's he's known for his covers really. I mean his covers are like insanely mm-hmm. just, just yeah, just so good. But yeah, seeing his interiors too is it's pretty pretty crazy. I mean same with every time I get something from Ricardo, I guess I'm I've been spoiled though. Like getting stuff from Ricardo every week is like just I just sit there and I just giggle like a little kid. <laughs> Yeah, as it's it's pretty magical when you live with something in your head and you turn it over to to somebody else and you get that sort of uh, you know, like I said, that notification or that email that there's something there, and then and then you open it up and that's that that thing that you've lived with in your head is now sort of been visualized for you for you to look at. I know it's awesome. Yeah, no, you had a question about uh, music and Cap. Yeah, I was wondering, there is there going to be any music in either Marvel Zombies or Cap, or is it? Uh... There is a religious text in Marvel Zombies. 
Okay. Um, there's like this this creepy book, like in the in Marvel Zombies. I'll go, I'll I'll spoil this much. There's a there's a culture of people. So this takes place years after the event of the of the one shot, and there's this cult that's arisen basically that worships these things called the deadheads, and that's okay. uh, that's the the standard term for them. It's mm-hmm. like these deadheads. Um. It's not what they call themselves, but that's what others call them. And they have a like a basically like an old testament that has, you know, that some psycho wrote a long time ago. And you see a lot of that, but there's no there's no literal um, music in this one um, so far. Although I can, like I I would love to find an opportunity to you to to have like an old campfire tune or something in the in the cap book at some point. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to do music when it doesn't belong there. Like I don't want right. to, I don't want to just shoehorn it in when it, when it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I could see my readers getting annoyed with that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would too, if it was there for no reason, but, um, but yeah, whenever I have, whenever I see an opportunity, I definitely write something like that in there. Love, okay. I, was, I, I knew I had no doubts in my mind that you weren't someone who would just indulge himself when he didn't need to. So, but yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's one of the the joys of reading Last God is sort of what what the song is going to be, and I, I guess I enjoy Last God also how you've incorporated like you can tell your love of music and sort of how music is synonymous with like music with like casting spells and magic and everything like that. Yeah, I, I love the idea that. Yeah, um, it gets into it in the source book as well, but it, it explores the idea that all music comes from magic. Like there's the, you know, there's these gods that once lived and they all had their, their turf, like they're the God of whatever. And one of them, Mo Anwe was the goddess of music and light. And um, her, like she would use light and sound to create life. And the songs that she once sang to create life have kind of passed on till now where like the, the lesser races like us can still like, still sing them and that's one of the footholds that that mortals still have into the world of magic like you can they can still like if they capture the music of Mulan way they can they can have some some ability although it's the kind of a dying art by this time of this book um so yeah like the idea there's a line in there somewhere um that not all what is it not all magic is music but all music is magic like it's like the concept of music grew out of what was once magic. And um, that's something that I, it's kind of a spiritual idea that I kind of believe in. That's beautiful. So you do have one more project that's sort of recently been announced and, and to come out. That's uh, the, the, the kill a man book. That's uh, that's with uh, aftershock. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, man, we're stoked about kill a man. It's um, it's a book about an up and coming MMA fighter who gets outed as gay at a press conference and has to, and basically loses everything has to fight his way back. And, um, at that point in his career, the whole, like nobody in the industry will touch him at that point. Um, except for one guy. And there's this whole backstory in which his, his father had been a, um, an MMA fighter as well. One of the early pioneers of the sport. And he was a, a bigot who had been killed in the ring by a guy. I'm not explaining this very well. There's a the whole thing starts with a a fight from a generation ago where this guy calls this other guy a faggot in the in the ring and gets beaten to death right after that. Wow. Uh based on a real event that happened. Um 
well-documented thing that like a documentary was made about it. Um, so a generation later, the dead man's son is now an MMA fighter and he has to turn to the guy who killed his dad to train him because no one else will. Um, so it, the whole thing is just a big exploration of uh, MMA culture and um, queer culture within that and where it intersects. And, you know, we're really proud of it. Steve's a, it's a passion project for Steve, for sure, and of mine, and we're really happy with it. Yeah, I had a, a couple of questions. Like, uh, you you're you're an MMA fan you, yourself, is that uh, correct? Yeah. For and sure. um, do you and do you practice uh, martial arts or anything like that? Yeah, okay. I, do, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai, which both of those are like important uh, aspects of MMA, typically. Okay. And what was it like to uh, to work with with a with a co writer on on this series? Um, it was great, man. Like Steve and I have a really good relationship that way. And the artist too, Alec Morgan, actually Alec, part of the reasons we chose Alec is that he actually does MMA as well. Oh, wow. And I wanted um, somebody who would be able to really choreograph the fights in a way that made us seem legit. You know, I want it, it's, uh, I really wanted the fights to look real. So I choreographed the fights a little more carefully than I normally would in a book. Like I, you know, I just went, we went through the whole blow by blow, how a fight would go. And um, Alec put it on the page and he, he, he crushed it. I mean, Steve and I started, we became friends partly because he was discovering MMA. Mm -hmm. And we were at this hang after uh, uh, Albany Comic-Con, I think. And he was there. Um, and we just were hanging out talking. I think there was a fight on and we started talking about that and sort of became friends. And down the line, he, he, uh, he found out that I do it myself and he, pitched me this idea that he had and really wanted to do it with me. And yeah, so we, we did it. Awesome. And do you guys sort of uh, trade pages or do you guys like work on a page and then like uh, one guy will have an edit or, or, or how does that sort of uh, collaborative process work? Um, usually one of us will make a pass at something and then um, send, well, Let's see, like on the, it's a, it's coming out in a weird format. It's like uh, a part one and part two. The pr part mm -hmm. one is going to be 60 pages and then the prestige format is going to be, it's going to look awesome. Um, so we just started doing, we're pretty far along now in, this, in the back 60 pages. So he, like Steve went through the whole 60 uh, and roughed out approximate breakdowns. Like here's what happens in this page. Here's what happens in this page. Um, for the whole 60, sent it to me, I mean, loosely outlined, and then sent it to me for me to kind of, hey, what do you think about this? And then I would kind of move some things around and give him my thoughts and send it back to him and got his thoughts. And at that point, we were pretty much locked in. But whenever there's this spot that we're not sure about, we'll just kind of bat it back and forth and, and figure it out. Um, and a similar thing happens with scripts. Like one of us will do a, a loose version of the scripts, like probably without dialogue. And then um, the other person will go in and kind of flesh it out a little further and add the dialogue. We'll, we'll each take a scene. Like usually he takes a lot of the relationship scenes and I'll take a lot of the fighting scenes and um, choreograph the fights and do the, you know, the fight commentary and all that. Um, yeah. We both just kind of, kind of call dibs on scenes that we want to, that we want to flesh out the, the dialogue on and then kind of fill in the gaps. That's a really cool insight and how that works. And, uh, That'll be that'll be cool to be reading it and to be like, oh yeah, okay, you know, like that makes sense. Like, okay, that's that's Steve's voice, that's Philip's voice, but then like sort of how it tells one story 
It'll be yeah, cool well, yeah, we're, we're careful to homogenize the whole thing. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like, you know, like the it's a big color change. Yes, exactly. Now, speaking of color change, the art that uh, that's in the article about for the announcement, it's amazing. Like yeah. as far as colors and, and, and movement goes, it's beautiful. Thank you, man. Yeah, Alec did it all, uh, did the colors himself too. Yeah, I'm really excited to pick that up. I've been sharing that around. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, before we close, I have some quick fire questions about Last God, just really quick. Um, so in issue two, the Ferryman King talks about being drawn from the water when like, uh, when Sayanth comes upon her in the woods. Uh -huh. uh, is that a Warlord's reference that you slipped in there? Not on purpose. Not on purpose, <laughs> okay. back and saw it later, I was like, huh. Yeah. Okay, there's that one. And then um, this one you don't have to explain now because if it's coming out in the source book, but I'm curious as to how the twinning spell works. Is that going to be expounded upon in the source book? A little bit, yeah. There's a, there are, yes. Okay, <laughs> okay. The, and the, the blades that she used are twinning blades and there's, okay. there's a spell that you do with that. It's like basically like uh, objects changing places in space. Okay, and I was wondering about that because in issue two again, there's a moment where the Ferryman King cuts off the arm of a guildsman, mm -hmm. and Santh shoots the the arm at the at the uh, at the the flowering dead, mm -hmm. and then that makes them like explode. Is that a twinning spell, or is that something completely different? That's something else. It was a okay. It, uh, was a thing that it's like a kind of like a self destruct thing that happens on the the uh, bracelet itself. Bracelet, right? Okay, that's all my quick fire questions. <laughs> I just had to, I just had to I had to get those out there before we before we closed. Yeah. So no, those are, those are awesome questions. Well, I, I just, as we close, I just have a general question about uh, workflow and sort of like the, the, the realities that we're all facing now. And we talked about a little bit about this in the, the, the pre-show interview. How are, how is the, the state of the, the world affecting um, writing uh, comics for, for the big two? Uh, you know, a lot of cons are, are being canceled. Uh, you know, there's the news that, uh, Diamond's not going to ship any books. Uh, so, so how is that affecting you? Um, the biggest way it affects me, my day to day, is that my son is home from school all the time, mm -hmm. um, and that makes it hard to work. Because I don't want to just ignore him all day. Like I, you know, he needs to, he needs to learn still, and he needs to have time with his dad. So I'm putting in a lot of time with him, and that's making it hard to work. So basically, it's just totally jacked up my my hours. Like I'm just doing most of my work. Well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of my work is happening after he's in bed. Um, so I'm up insanely late. Like I've always been a night owl, but now it's like insane. Like it's, I'm basically oh. a vampire. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest way it affects my day-to-day -day, is just having my son, you know, at home all the time. It just makes it harder to work during the day. And plus, I'm also still active in the Army, so I'm, I'm often having to go in and do things with that, like either from my computer at home or actually have to go into the building and do other tasks. So... Um, yeah, it's been, it's been more, more in varied demands of my time, and it's uh, it's making the the nighttime hours more productive, and um, the daytime hours pretty pretty hectic. Yeah, thanks for well, taking that's, time to do this interview with, uh, with all your schedule. Then, yeah, of course, man. Yeah, it's always one thing that's been very impressive uh, for me. You know, uh, a father of two working a full time job, trying to make my way as as a writer, just to sort of think about all the things. Uh, that you would have to handle at at a, at a much higher level is 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 very impressive. Oh well, thanks. I'm a higher level, but I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Noah, do you have a? I know you got your rapid fire questions out. Uh, is there anything uh, that you have uh, as we close out? 
Nope, I'm good. I got my rapid fire questions. Very cool. Yep. Well, Philip, I'm happy to say that you are now the uh, the the most frequent guest uh, on our podcast. Uh, hey. So yeah, yeah, so we we, we enjoy no prize. yeah we enjoy talking to you and uh, possibly once those uh, those cat books come out, maybe we 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 can do it again. I'd love that, man. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks again. Do you want to let people know where they can find you uh, on online? And uh, uh, you have a website as well so that they can keep up to date with all the stuff you have coming out. I do. I have a website. I'm honestly most up to date. So it's probably my social media. I'm, um, I'm at just look up my full name on social media. It's Philip with two L's Kennedy Johnson on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Philip K Johnson. Um, let's see. Instagram, Philip underscore Kennedy underscore Johnson, creative genius. <laughs> and um yeah my website's just my full name.com awesome we'll have links to all of that uh in in the show notes but uh thanks again for for being on we always we as we always enjoy uh talking with you yeah man me too always a pleasure awesome so uh if anybody could give us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service we'd really uh appreciate it if you want to follow the podcast we are on twitter at construct Compod. instagram is at Constructing Comics Pod, Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics, and we'll be back with another episode very soon, and everybody uh, be safe. Thank you.